you done now? Oh, Brad, what have you done now? Doc! Doc! Okay, relax, Doc. It's me. It's me. It's Martin. Oh, I can't just sent you back to the future. Yeah. Oh, I know. You did send me back to the future, but I'm back. I'm back from the future. And welcome to Back to the Future, the podcast, the only podcast looking back in time. It's the greatest film trilogy of all time, Back to the Future. I'm your friend in time, Brad Gilmore. We are back with another show. What did y'all think of last week? It's pretty cool, wasn't it? Wasn't it? It was Future Day last week, and we kicked off with a special two-part Future Day edition of Back to the Future, the podcast, to kick off Season 7. Not only did I play a clip of my conversation with the one and only... Christopher Lloyd, can I get a great Scott? Great Scott! (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right? Um, Not only did I do that, you got to hear from a lot of celebrities whom I've spoken with over the last several weeks where the Back to the Future came up or maybe something about my book came up. And then, then in part two of my Future Day special, you got to hear from the man himself, the creator, the inventor, the executive producer, Bob Gale. Bob Gale joined us on the air over there on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 here in Houston, Texas. And also, we got to talk to him here on Back to the Future, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that interview, man. It was it was one of those, <laughs> like I said last week, you know, that, that one was a special one. To be able to talk to him was massively special. And I still have my, my guest list, my, my wish list. Of people, and some of those are being worked on in, in the works. So keep your fingers crossed for me. Um, this week on the podcast, I have Peter Rosenberg. You might know Peter Rosenberg for his own ESPN radio show, The Michael K Show, over there in NYC. You might know him from being a part of the morning show for has to be at least near a decade or more over there on Hot 97 with Laura Styles and Ebro in the morning. You might know him from there, or you might know him from the WWE, where he hosts the kickoff shows, and he um, had a show on the WWE Network called Bring It to the Table. He's been everywhere, and I've been a fan of Peter Rosenberg for for a while. I I remember first discovering him on YouTube from the Hot 97 clips. I'm a big hip-hop fan, and to um, see him on there and, and giving his opinion always always emphatic about his choices. It was pretty cool, and we got to know each other. I actually met him in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest one year, and somehow or another, we kind of stayed connected, and then he came on the radio show a few times with Booker T and myself, and then when he started working with Booker, I think we got a little bit cooler yet again, or we, we got to know each other a little bit more, I should say. And he, during pandemic times in New York, visited... Um, a drive-in where he got to watch Back to the Future, and he DM'd me on Instagram and was like, hey, man, I just noticed a whole bunch of things about Back to the Future I didn't know before, and he said would love to come on the podcast. And if someone wants to come on Back to the Future, the podcast, talk Back to the Future, guess what? You're going to come on Back to the Future, the podcast, especially if you're Peter Peter Rosenberg, sweet, sweet Peter Rosenberg, or Rosie, as Booker T calls him. So Peter and I talk about his love for the movies, what he noticed 
in his most recent viewing of Back to the Future in the drive-ins and really talks about that drive-in experience. We also try to uh, hypothesize and theorize what hip-hop personalities would work well in Back to the Future and what professional wrestlers would work well in the Back to the Future universe. Here it is. This is my conversation with Hot 97, ESPN, and WWE's own Peter Rosenberg on Back to the Future, the podcast. And he joins me now on the podcast, man. It's a guy who I've talked a lot about wrestling with some hip-hop conversations, but he's Hot 97 and ESPN Radio's Peter Rosenberg. What's going on, Peter? How you doing, Brad? I'm good, man. I'm glad that we got to do this because um, you, you're a big Back to the Future fan. Uh, obviously, I am as well. But we've never really discussed it at length, a tweet here or there. But I will say this. Before the world shut down, uh, I, I I saw you on my last trip that I took, and that was in Las Vegas, Nevada, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, the fight of the century, and we, we were sitting pretty close to each other, but there was a moment that popped both you and I, and that's when Michael J. Fox was shown on the big screen. I was like, Marty McFly is in the building. It's a legendary moment, and I saw you pop for it too. So have you always been a big Michael J. Fox fan or Back to the Future? Like, How did it start off for you? Um, I, I can't recall what comes first, my like big uh, Back to the Future fandom or um, him on Family Ties. Um, I'm not sure, but in that moment, I, I, I was having that was a really fun moment. A, yeah, it's the last fun thing I did really before the world ended, like really, really fun <laughs> right. thing. Um, so it's weird to think about like a weekend of going to dinners with my co-host Laura, we were like in Vegas having a great time. And, uh, and yeah, I was actually as tipsy as I get, uh, basically at that fight. Like I was in a great mood. <laughs> um, and it was back to back. Like Tyson was there, Mike Tyson. Yeah. And then, and then they show Michael J. Fox. And I just remember thinking or saying that Michael J. Fox is one of the few people that if I see him because of how much I love his characters, particularly Marty McFly, I just like don't know that I could keep it fully together. <laughs> like he's he's on that list um, of people that I'm like, oh my, like, you know, and he, and he still looks great and still feels like Marty to some degree. And so, um, but I don't remember. Um, it's all, that sort of blends together in the 80s for me. I don't really have a strong, like a stronghold on me deciding that like this is one of my all-time favorite movies until the trilogy came out on DVD. Um, uh, maybe it was 2000. Maybe it was the 15th anniversary. Yeah. Um, and they put out like a box set. Um, and that when like I ran out and bought it, and and that was when it kind of dawned on me that like oh this is like just about my favorite movie. Um, so it's kind of over the last 20 years that maybe I've heralded, heralded it more as opposed to when, because I'm older than you. Mm -hmm. So as, as opposed to when I was little, where it was just, it was such a part of, it was everyone, it's everyone's favorite movie, you know? Right. It's not until a little more time passes that it feels a little more unique to really be like hardcore into it. Yeah, no, I definitely understand where you're coming from. To me, that was how, you know, after I watched them on Disney Channel for the first time, I got the the box set, and that was really what did it for me. So you're saying it's your favorite movie, period, bar none. So I, I, that's over the last few years. Um, 
it, I, I realized, I just realized it's my favorite movie. It wasn't like this, like really conscious decision. It was just like, when I think about when, if someone says, what's your favorite movie, I have all these things I love, but the only thing that I will rewatch forever and ever and ever, and still like run through the gamut of emotions um, is back to the future. So I was like, why? No, that is my, that's my favorite movie. Like it, it kind of took me time to realize it because to me, it's always such a hard question. You have, you have different movies you're obsessed with in different times of your life. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's my number one. So you said recently when we were talking on Instagram, you said that you went to the drive-in, right. And got to see it, uh, for the first time, you know, on, you know, in that kind of scenario, that setting, uh, you said you noticed a couple things. So first, I want to say, what was what was it like experiencing it in that drive-in setting? And then two, what did you notice that stood out to you as it's your favorite movie and there's something new that stuck out? Um, so it was. I mean, it was perfect for that setting. I've seen three movies. There's a great drive-in here called uh, Skyline in Brooklyn, and it's incredible. Like. The setup is great. It's not like it's not ragtag. Like this is going to be their business for a long time. Like they're they're they bought in, and their location is a literally as good a view of Manhattan, as unobstructed a view of Manhattan as could exist. Like you are just on the East River looking at Manhattan. So when you're watching the movie, you have the entire New York skyline behind the theater. Um, it's just pretty unbeatable. And and then like it's packed. So many cars are there. Um, the audios on the radios is on a radio station frequency, which for me is also a radio geek. I pop for that. Like there's so many things that make it awesome. But like I've seen three movies there. Um, I saw I saw Grease, which I'd actually never seen in full, um, which is crazy for a 41 year old man. But I had not. I feel like it's um, a prerequisite at some point in life that you have to experience like, John Travolta. I, and it kind of it kind of spoke to how iconic that movie is in the sense that I knew almost every scene and had never recalled seeing the whole movie. Yeah. Like that's how transcendent that movie is. And I saw I went to see Back to the Future, which was a, a gimme. Um, and then I saw Jaws. So like all movies that I thought really fit the vibe of of, of, of that experience of a drive-in sadly i missed back to the future too i was i was traveling for work and missed when they showed back to the future too but um the, the to the other part of your question the part that i noticed um and now i'm forgetting the exact verbiage that you'll probably remember yeah but there's a moment towards the end of the movie i believe I believe it's when Doc runs into Doc. Okay, that that's in that's in two. No, wait, hold on. Is the only scene where? Oh yeah, because there's only one Doc in one. Right. So it's when Doc's talking to Marty. It's not. Um, it's the same location. Right. But it's when Doc's talking to Marty by the car as they're setting up at the end, and. There's a mention of, oh, about how it could have, how how one thing can affect everybody, and it and it it dawned and Doc gives a look. Doc has this moment where he looks up, and acknowledges sort of 
in that moment was the first time I realized that they're acknowledging how Marty's dad will be different because of what just happened. Right. There's an acknowledgement that by, by, but he, when he says it worked, everything worked to plan. And when they have the realization that everything worked to plan, he knocked out Biff, everything doc has, I forget what the it, it, it was. It was, you know, he never stood up to Biff in his whole life. And doc goes, never. And then, you know, and, and he, Marty's like, yeah. And he's like, Okay, never mind that. Exactly. Never mind that. It's yeah. the look. It's the look. And I thank you. I, I, I knew I didn't have to remember it because you have it just right. He gives a look up at the idea of never. And it, it and and I guess, you know, and what makes the movie so great is that every time I watch it, I think about something different. And I had been thinking about, particularly in this last viewing of it, how Marty's dad, how George is a different how he changes at the end. And yes, it's a cute, funny thing at the end of the movie. It kind of ties a nice bow on it, but it's more than that. Like that is in a lot of ways what the entire movie is about. And so when Doc has that little acknowledgement of never, it really makes you realize like, oh, that knockout punch changed history. Changed and everything. I just, I, I never noticed Doc's little nod there at all. I mean, that's what's great about the film is you can watch. I still watch. I've seen it dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times, obviously. And I still will find something small. Like I was watching Back to the Future 2 the other day and there, he's going to the antique shop in 2015 and he looks through the window and there's like a Roger Rabbit doll. I know it's like a small, small, tiny thing, but it's like, oh, Robert Zemeckis, you know, Christopher Lloyd. There's like small nods everywhere. Um, for you, though, you said you missed out on two and three. Are you as big a fan of the sequels as you are the first one? Because what I find with a lot of people who grew up with that 85 Back to the Future, they're like, yeah, the sequels are all right, but this is the one that I like. Are, are you a fan of the entire trilogy? So, so, so the reason I just actually mixed those things up is I just watched, I was hanging out with someone and she had never, she had, she had seen them, but like it wasn't a part of her life. Right. So I was like, you need to like, look, let's rewatch here and watch two also um and so i just watched them all over the course of a week and i was curious to watch three again because i'd only seen three a couple of times and it was widely like completely written off by people um you know they filmed it at the same time as two it was kind of a rush job it was it just didn't it got silly and, and then recently I'd run into a couple of people who were like, yo, people sleep on three. Three is really good. In my rewatching of them all, it to me, it still stayed the same. One is like the greatest movie ever made. Yeah. Two is a really good, like solid movie, not a crappy sequel, like a really good movie where they tap back in beautifully to all the themes and just geek you out with so much fun futuristic stuff. And three, I sort of disagreed with the people who told me like, nah, three was just as good. Like three to me is still a full level down um, from one and two. Um, it, it has things I like about it, but maybe it's because I watch them in such close proximity. Um, and I'm inherently more into the idea of futuristic stuff than Western stuff. Right. Um, that I pop more, you know, maybe it's like the, the doc love story is cute, but I don't know if it's enough to drive like the entire film for me to some degree. Um, but I think two is an iconic 
film also. And, and to your point that you made about Roger Rabbit, what I noticed about two um, so much was Michael Jackson. Like, yeah. man, they, they he, beat it like plan. Two or, mm-hmm. There's two or and then and then when he goes back to his old house, which is now not his house anymore. And it's a black family that lives there and the whole neighborhood's different, whatever. The girl's room who he's in, she has a Michael Jackson poster also. It's just there's a the lot Michael of Jackson, Jackson waiter. Uh, you know, the, yep. the, the yeah. Yeah. And then even in the third movie, he does the moonwalk. So there's a lot of Michael Jackson. It's really. a. St- and you wonder if that also ties in to the huge connections to Pepsi in the movie, too. Well, there you go. There you go. I mean, I mean Mike, it, Mike and Pepsi are synonymous with one another. It's like the glove. Um, exactly. So yeah, that could be something. Well, well, I've always argued that the two is iconic. When you think of the iconography of Back to the Future, obviously you think of the DeLorean. But then what do you think of? You think of the hoverboard. You think of the air mags. You think of the Pepsi Perfect. Those things are what come to mind. And those are all from Back to the Future, too. There's yeah, 100%. Like the, the hoverboard is right be- behind it. I mean, the, the DeLorean's number one, of course, but the hoverboard second. And the hoverboard stayed this mythological thing forever. Um, it's still annoying that every version of something called a hoverboard is not the hoverboard. <laughs> right. And like even recently, I'm sure you saw the thing on social media. The guy was obsessed with Back to the Future, so he did the scene. He reenacted the scene on a hoverboard, but like, it's never done right. It, it's it's still never satisfied that feeling we all want of seeing an actual hoverboard. And I always make the joke that when I was a kid, so I was two came out in '89. Yeah, I was ten years old, and so like that was the kind of thing that kids would be like, "Yo, my cousin has one." Like my cousin has a hoverboard. <laughs> Like that was, that was a regular thing in life at that point. Like, no, I'm going to go see it this weekend. I didn't use it yet, but I'm going to like, that was totally happening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, but, 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 but to go to your thing on three. So when I was a kid, three was my favorite. And I think for a couple reasons, one, I'm from Texas and obviously I grew up on Westerns. So I kind of, I, I identify with that Western vibe. But when I started to think about it, when I was older, like, why did I like three so much? I think it's actually most like the first movie because you have Doc and Marty stuck in the past with no clear way to get back to the future and they're having to figure out some backdoor plan B way. You know, in the first movie it was, oh, we can harness lightning. In this one, will you rip a fuel line? Maybe we can push the DeLorean with a train. You know, but we got to figure it and we only get one shot at it and it builds that inherent drama that really propels the entire film. That's an interesting thing I didn't even think about. That is, that's totally true. Um, it, it does occupy a similar, similar space in that way. It's just like there's a darkness to two. There is. That's so interesting, you know. And then obviously with the current president, you know, you know, and honestly, I felt like back in the day when Obama roasted Trump at the White House Correspondents Dinner <laughs> and he showed what the White House would look like. I felt like that was a straight play on Biff Tannen. Yeah. I really did. Well, Bob Gale, who co-wrote the movie, said that he based that version of yeah. Biff back in the day on on Trump. So, I mean, it, it, right. it still plays to this day. But two is so dark. But you, you bring up Biff. Where do you think Biff Tannen ranks as far as greatest movie villains of all time? Because I think that he doesn't get enough credit in that convo. We always talk about Vader. You talk about guys like that, right? But Biff Tannen, especially in the first movie, is a force. 
this guy's a force, and he doesn't get it. And then Tom Wilson, I think I counted it up, it was seven or eight different variations of the Biff character that he plays. So not only a great acting performance, but bringing that villain to life, he's got to be a top three, top four villain. It's it's a it's a great point. There's minimum five. There's minimum five that I remember right away. Okay, who you got? That, well, you, you have in one. You have old. You have adult forty something year old. Oh Biff yeah. and mm-hmm. teenage Biff. Mm-hmm. The second second one. You have old man Biff. Um, you, you have, have his have grandson old, Griff, and then you Griff. You have Western, and you have Western Biff. Western Biff, and then the the other variations are you have Biff horrific. You know, where he takes over the world, right, in in alternate 85. And really, at the end of the first movie, it's a different Biff. He's now the subservient uh, 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 caretaker for George. So there's all these, like, little different variations. Which is just so good. Like, the idea of the bully becoming subservient at the end and being like, your book's here. Like, he's not not just helping him. He's invested. (laughs) Right, right, right. He's like a friend now. He's like, now, Biff, don't you swindle me. (laughs) Two coats of wax, Biff. Um, who, Who, speaking of that, aside from Marty and Doc, which, you know, two iconic characters, obviously, Marty McFly, I think I always wanted to be Marty McFly when I was a kid, as everyone did. And then when you get older, you're like, man, Doc's so awesome. But aside from those two, who's like your favorite side character in the movie? Is it is is it Biff or is it someone even lower than that? Is it someone like Mayor Goldie Wilson? Is it who's someone that you just love whenever you see that movie? Uh, original Jennifer. Claudia Wells, yes. Um, original Jennifer is so the 80s adorable girlfriend that as a kid as a you know even though i don't i didn't see it in 85 i guess i probably saw it in 87 or something yeah as an eight nine ten year old her and sloan from ferris bueller's day off were just like the you know you're a 10 year old so a 16 year old girl or the portrayal of a 16 year old girl is this like fantasy woman you know um, I love original Jennifer. I think they're, I think they're, uh, I think their relationship's so great. Although it's so funny to me, uh, two things are funny about, about that relationship. Well, number one, when he's like, she's crazy about me. And he pulls out the note with her number on it that says, call me with a heart. Yeah. That's all it says. It says, right? I love you. It's like, it says, love you. Yeah. It says, love you on a note with a phone number. It's like. <laughs> I love that that's the evidence that she's so crazy about it. But the what I actually I love in that moment too, though, that I've never even discussed or talked about, I just love how Doc, whenever he says, "I got a girl, man, she's crazy about me," he goes, "Is she pretty?" Like, what? What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> he just he just wants to know. Like, this adds a sense of urgency. If she was a dog, Doc wouldn't even care about getting you back. But but one thing about regular 1985 Marty that I I think is, and I'm sure you've thought about this. Is Marty the character too cool to be bullied by, by both the vice principal and is the vice principal 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 to be bullied by both his principal and like, then to turn around 
and he's kind of instantly falls into the Biff bully thing. But that, of course, makes more sense. Biff's terrifying. But the role that he plays being like so, I don't know. It, it, he's well, this mix of cool, but I guess that's supposed to be the weakness of George McFly that's in him because of who George turned out to be. Right. I mean, I mean, he's, he even says, well, you're right. He's cool and a loser at the same time, right? Obviously, he's right. kind of a slacker uh, when he gets to school. He's always late. He's not focused on it. And then his true passion is this music, and he gets 10 seconds into his, re his song, and Huey Lewis shuts him off and says, you're too darn loud. And he fails at that. But I think that it, it was the implantation of, of George McFly's uh, fear of rejection uh, inside Marty that, to where he doesn't even feel like I need to try to excel because if I do, I can then fail and then I, I can't take that kind of rejection. I can't take I guess I guess the line, I just don't think I can take that kind of rejection is really what sums up the loser part of him. Yeah. Um, but you could also argue that that sort of loserish part of him is why he has the relationship with Doc in the first place. Now, maybe it's just the fact that he's a sweet kid and wants to help out an old, wacky scientist. But, yeah, I just – his the relationship there and him being caught being late for school, I, I, I yeah, and, and being cut immediately and kind of being so scared and not thinking his band could make it. But that is the George McFly part. So it's essential. And, again, speaks to what makes the movie perfect because – it shows the flaws that are there all because his dad wasn't willing to be brave. Yeah. And I believe that stuff. I mean, that stuff gets passed down. There's no way around it. I mean, you might be the exact opposite of your parents. You might be the exact same as your parents, but you are because of your parents. So it, it really ends up just tying it up and making it perfect. Yeah, no, I think you hit it on the head there. Now, I know um, I know that you, we're going to have to wrap this up soon, but I have one more question for you. So I became a fan of Peter Rosenberg through your work at Hot 97 and it continued to listen to you um, with your wrestling podcast, Cheap Heat, of course, your ESPN podcast, Cheap Heat. So this is what I want to ask you. This, this is going to be tough. I'm putting you on the spot. I want you to recast Marty and Doc, but Marty's got to be a rapper and Doc has to be a wrestler. Who would you cast as Marty and who would you cast as Doc? Marty as a rapper. I mean, man, it requires like this mix of like cool, confident, but with a little bit of vulnerability. Um, and then, but then there's also, you can get caught up thinking who would just be cool. Like if they were going to redo the film, who would just be cool? And by the way, I want to ask you when I'm done answering this, how you are going to react when they invariably redo this film. Uh, well, I have an answer for it, but go ahead. I'm, I'm sure you've thought about that and talked about it. Um, for some reason, just because of the coolness of his brand and how well it would be marketed, but I, I'm, I don't want this. And it's not a diss to him either because I love him. But the, the person they, that people would throw out there would be like Travis Scott. Like because of the cool Nike branding, but that's not it. Houston guy. It. You know who I, you know, the first one I was, when I was thinking about it, when I was going to ask you this, I was thinking about it myself. Donald Glover comes to mind, right? Childish Gambino, even though he's more on the actor tip already, I feel like he could pull it off. Well, the thing is, 
that's sort of a cheat code answer because yes, he would be great because he is the mix of cool and a nerd. But the cheat code in it is, of course, he can act. Right, he's already <laughs> like, an actor. He, he yeah. could really do it. He was like, Lando. He could, act, <laughs> like, he could actually do it. Um, and Doc, I mean, it's got to be J.J. Dillon. Oh, um, great call. Great call. I, 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 I think it's J.J. Dillon. I don't, I don't know about the hair, but I, yeah, I don't know. That's he's who popped into my head right away. Wily old. Uh, silver-haired guy. Could we see like, like, like old man macho, like macho man with white hair? You know, overreact. Oh, you great Scott Morty. You know, like the whole nine. <laughs> well, you're talking about the old macho man, so he would have been yelling, "Be a man, Hogan!" As he did it. <laughs> you know, the Hogan dissing rapping savage is what you're talking about. Yeah, and then then they could they could do the track together. Him and Travis Scott. They do the title track. They remix "Power of Love." <laughs> like I like how this is going. Now, and by, I wanna, one more thing I think is important to note, um, and I'm sure you spent time on it. it it's it's maybe the best scored movie of all time. Yes. Um, the Sylvette, and, what, not only the best scored, but the best score married with a great soundtrack from Huey Lewis and the News. Those two songs, Power of Love and Back in Time. Well, and that was my, so the second point I wanted to say was, sorry, I, um, was... Back in Time does not get enough credit. No, it doesn't. Like, it's, I love Back in Time. Like, okay, Power of Love is a, is a top 30 song for me probably in life. Um, but Back in Time is great. Like, it is, and, and it frustrates me, and I'll, I'll show you why. And I'll, This is just to pop you, but why not? And that's the point. I don't know if this audio. I mean, no, the no, audio will work. It sounds good. This. Yeah, it'll pop. It'll pop you more visually. But hold on, hold on. So this looks like a jukebox that you have, which is awesome. And do you? Oh no! So we have Peter Rosenberg going through his jukebox, and it looks like it's searching for a particular number. Looks like he's got it stocked with 45s here. Uh-oh, we have an option. <laughs> and so what bothers me is the, the killer part here is you can't see it, but that the, the B-side is a song called Bad is Bad by Huey Lewis. And it's like, why is the B-side not back in time? It makes no sense. The B-side wasn't back in time? No. What? It drives me insane because I never play the B-side, and all I want is for it to be back in time. But you can it's, I have the album. You can play it off the album, but there's no no 45. Well, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Talk to someone about this if you can. Well, yeah, I will, I will, I will put it through the proper channels. But to answer your question about if they, recast, if they remake the movie— I, I, I've thought about it a million times. I am not, like, actively rooting for it, but I'm not against it either. So, like, I, when they had that all-female Ghostbusters come out a couple years ago, I was hyped because I'm a big Ghostbusters fan. So I went to go see it. it. I didn't like it. I didn't think that it hit. It didn't connect with me. It didn't feel like a Ghostbusters film. So I decided I'm never going to watch it again. But I thought maybe that's going to tarnish the other movies for me. So then I went and watched Ghostbusters 1 and 2, and I still love them just as much. So right. if they make 
a new Back to the Future movie and I hate it, well, I never have to watch it again and I still have my original three. But this is what I've thought about. If they make another one and it's awesome, I just got more Back to the Future in my life. Like, uh, that's not a bad thing. That's the only a positive attribute. How how old is Zemeckis? <sighs> Zemeckis is uh, pushing 70. He's latter 60s. I, if, I just wish if they decided to do it, do it while he's around and, like, let his voice be part of it. Now, maybe part of the thing is you want to have a different director to have their vision of it. But I would love the idea of recasting it. Maybe you do have a new director. But with him as a legitimate advice, like consultant on the film. Um, but I'm very into the idea of movies like this being recast with people of color. I, I just feel that like it could. And I have some other movies that I'll tell you offline that I one that I really would like want to try to make happen that I think if they were recast with young black kids would not only change the film, but expose it to such a broader and new audience. And I think there are, there are movies where it would seem silly just to do it again because we don't need it. And Back to the Future may be in that category because it's perfect and because most everyone in the world has seen it. Yeah. You know, re regardless of, of background. But there's no doubt that as, as big as it was in our lives, I, I would still venture to say as crossover as it was everywhere, I'm sure it was still bigger in whiter households than it was in white households than it was black. And so there would be something cool about the audience you could reach with a new casting of it for and for kids. Because, I mean, yes, some kids are going to get put onto it by their parents. But if their parents weren't huge fans, they may not get put onto it. You know, one of the one of the names on the call sheet for Doc Brown back in 1985 was Eddie Murphy. They considered Eddie Murphy for Doc Brown back in the day. Now, think about crazy, crazy take then. But think about Eddie Murphy now as Doc Brown in a recast Back to the Future movie. I think that he would crush it, especially his work wow. in Dolomite. I think he'd be great. Wow. That's that's a great call. Him, you know, especially yeah, now that he's getting like he finally looks older than 45, you know, like, <laughs> right. It's, I think he's what I think he, Eddie's pushing what 60. I think he is 60, 60 on the dot, maybe. Yeah. So like. Yeah. So now that he looks like 48, um, <laughs> it's doable. And it's funny when you realize it, when you look at how how old was Christopher Lloyd when they made the first one, 45. He yeah, I think he. I think he was probably about. Let's see, he's in his eighties now. So yeah, yeah, he would have been 50s, later forties, maybe early fifties. Yeah. So th that's a great call. I, I would. I would love Eddie Murphy as Doc. And and by the way, in eighty five, even if they went out to him, I mean, especially if it, from the beginning, it's like, hey, we have Eric Stoltz, and Eddie Murphy in eighty five might say no. I mean, this is this is eight. This is between Delirious and Raw. He's like completely on fire. He might have thought like this movie sounds corny. Yeah, I think Forty Eight um, Hours might have been out what in eighty four, right? Or eighty yeah, three? He's, he's already yeah. scorched hot. So yeah. it's not a guarantee he does it then. Now, especially since like he loves doing his kids' movies here and there, but here you get to be a part of a classic and reinvent it for people. I love that idea. That's awesome. Yeah, that 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 would be that'd be top. But I do like your idea of of re although I do think that you're right about Back to the Future still reaching. Um, the original one reaching like all neighborhoods because you think about Marty McFly and how many times you've heard either DeLorean, 
Marty McFly or some variety of that in hip hop records. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is is Kanye. Good morning, good morning, and look at the future. Uh, look at the valedictorian, scared of the future while I hop in the DeLorean, right? Or right. you think of uh, uh, I think Rocky Fresh had like a whole run. Driving eighty eight was like the name of his album or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but there's been a lot throughout you know the annals of hip hop. But if you had somebody iconic like Eddie. Think about how the culture would embrace that. Oh, my, oh my goodness. God. Eddie as Doc Brown would be, <laughs> it would actually, it might reshape the movie to a degree where it's marketed more around Doc, unless, of course, you come with the just amazing Marty. Um, you know, they. I, I could see, I could see Jaden Smith getting thrown in that conversation. Yeah. Um, <sighs> I mean, I think you have to go unknown. I think you have to go unknown with Marty, right? You know, it's a, it's. And by the way, how how famous was Michael J. Fox when the movie was made? I mean, Family Ties was number one in the country. Um, yeah, you know, it was the number one. Like, show. It only been like two two three years. Yeah, yeah. So he was Alex P. Keaton number one show, Family Ties. So I mean, he was well known. He he was well known. He might he might have been the most popular Canadian in America at the time. Right. Which is always a good uh, barometer. Wasn't John Candy Canadian? Yes. I think he was. He's the, yeah. there's, there were some Canadians around at that time. Yeah. But yeah. anyways, uh, an unknown is an interesting idea. Or like, yeah, a musician who's not necessarily thought of for acting, who all of a sudden it's like, whoa, he's in a movie. He's Marty McFly. Hold up. You know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know what? You make a good point, though, because like the gut reaction is to be like, oh, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. But who cares if they do it? It could be fun. What if it's awesome? You know, what What if it's amazing? And it just makes people relive the other ones. So I'd be open to it. It was like Creed. When Creed came out, everyone's like, do we need another Rocky movie? Well, I was like, well, it's a reimagining, you know, of, of a Rocky movie. It's a continuation. And it was awesome. <laughs> like, it was yeah, great. Yeah, people loved it. Yeah. So, right. you know, you just you just keep it moving. Well, Pete, I appreciate you for taking the time to talk back to the future. I'm glad it's that the it's the only podcast I think I've ever asked to be on. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. I'll, I'll take that. And hopefully we'll have you back in the, in the next season. And congratulations to you and all your success, man. We'll be listening to Hot 97 ESPN. But any plugs? Do you have any plugs? Do you want to plug? No. Yeah, no. Listen to the Cheap Heat podcast. Um, and yeah, sure. We're doing a good job. Uh, Hot 97 in the morning. Uh, Ebro in the morning every day is uh, in this interesting time we're living in. I, it's it's required listening. We, we're, we talk about a lot of important stuff every day and have fun. It's a rare balance. Um, so I'm having a good time with that. And no, not really. By the way, congrats on the book and the podcast. And, and you had Leah Thompson the day the book came out. Oh. And then she like marks out for the, the fact that you have the book. It had to be one of the great check, moments of your life. Check this out. I don't know if you can hear this. Hold on. Tell me if you can hear this. Oh, my God. You're my dreamboat for sure. Did you hear that? It's a drop, a drop <laughs> from it now. For sure. Oh, and here's the better drop. You want to hear the better drop? Can yeah. I get a great Scott? Great Scott. <laughs> Oh my. <laughs> so legendary wow legendary. you are doing things man you're listen really i'm proud of you. you're doing a great job man and i was talking to booker about you the other day at uh at the pay-per-view and he was he was just he was just going on about how proud he is of everything you're doing so keep doing your thing bud that's great too that is the one and only peter rosenberg back to the future of the podcast thanks pete later bud and there he was peter rosenberg Really enjoyed that conversation with him. And I tell you, as the days continue on, I really am getting married to this idea of Eddie Murphy as a potential Doc Brown.
I don't know. I just like the idea. We're going to be back next week with another edition of Back to the Future, the podcast. Hope you enjoyed this one. I have several in the can. We're going to be rocking all the way into 2021, trust me, with a lot of incredible episodes. But until then, make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Brad Gilmore. Go get my book, Back from the Future, a celebration of the greatest time travel story ever told, available wherever, wherever books are sold. And make sure you check me out again on social media. But until next time, I'm your friend in time, Brad Gilmore, and I will see you in the future.